This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is October 10th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you're at Hofstra Radio. Thank you, Brian. Uh, I'm Andrew Schmertz, and I was at Hofstra Radio from 1987 to 1991. And let me just say that I want to thank you. I'm sure you've heard this from a number of people for doing this and continuing to do this because it's, it's important and it's appreciated because the legacy of any institution is really based on the memories of the people. And, you know, when you get to our age, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. those memories mm-hmm. start to fade. So, so it's, it's, it's terrific that you're recording all of these memories and these stories. Thank you. I, I, I really appreciate that. And you being one of my uh, predecessors and mentors at the station, I, that, that means a great deal. And uh, I feel like I was just saying to someone, um, you know, at our age, we're <laughs> about the age or a little bit older than Jeff Krause was when he passed. Which is really hard to believe. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I mean, the man lived uh, quite an amazing life and put so much time and effort that he was in his early fifties when he passed. It's yeah, it's very hard to imagine. Yeah, but... and and when you're that age, it's hard to put that in perspective. Um, you know, because when you're eighteen, nineteen, twenty, you're thinking, well, that's pretty old. Uh, right. But, but when you're in your fifties, that's not so old anymore. No, no, definitely not. Um, well, well, thank you for, for doing this and, and uh, for coming back. And uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to your stories. Uh, I guess let's start off. And if you could recount the titles and positions that you held at the station. So I guess I held three sort of quote unquote management titles. Uh, there was the I was the producer of New Age Images. Uh, New Age music was all the rage in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was then the co-host of Good Morning Hofstra, which was the morning show at the time. Uh, worked closely with Doug Oaken, who I'm still very, very good friends with, and he's my business partner uh, at Hopscotch Air. Uh, Doug mm-hmm. and I co-hosted that show. Uh, Ethan Dreilinger made the occasional appearance, and Ryan Williams, uh, and that was that was a lot of fun. And then in my senior year, I was program director. Um. I remember you saying that that you know uh, how you got involved in the station initially, and it wasn't really necessarily in your plan, but but you you wound up at the station, and I guess let's start with the with the New Age Images producer position. Was that were you into that sort of music, or is this just a position that opened up? How did you get involved with that? That's a very good question. I don't think I was into it. I'm I've never been really into any music. Uh, mm. I basically fell into the position because I don't think anybody else wanted to produce the show. Uh, so um, Jeff and I guess Jason, who is uh, program director or station manager at the time, offered me the position and I became the new age music producer. And I think that was my sophomore year mm-hmm. uh, and, and how I got involved at the radio station. And I think I told the story last time is my roommate was Harold Messinger. Uh, and Harold was all about radio and communications. And he said, hey, let's go check out uh, the radio station at uh, the the fair that they had, um, you know, at the beginning of the year. All the clubs came out and did presentations and such. And I said, sure, this is this is kind of cool. Uh, and I signed on board then because I was not a comm major. I was not in the main school of Hofstra University. So I was kind of an outsider. Uh, and I kind of like being an outsider in that role because there was no pressure. There's no academic pressure, right? You did it because you just enjoyed it. Mm. Um, 
so again, the you know the best laid plans. I guess you, you said you weren't a, a, a music guy. Were you more of a news guy, a production guy? What was your what was your uh, main interest at the station as you were going into your second year? Yeah, I was always I was definitely a news guy. I wanted yeah. to be in news my my whole life. Uh, I wanted to be a journalist, and uh, I was I gravitated towards that at at the radio station. I, I did uh, you know I anchored occasionally our evening news show. Uh, with Dave Mock, um, and I, I did that for a while. And on Good Morning Hofstra, my job on that program was doing news. And I remember I did not just rip and read the news, if anybody even knows what the phrase rip and read means mm-hmm. anymore, where you just pull off the AP wire copy and read it. I actually got to got to the, uh, to the station early every morning, I think at five, which is really, really hard when you're in college. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I went right from the bar to to the radio <laughs> station, and and did my best to rewrite the stories. Um, so the show went the morning show went on at seven a.m. So you get there an hour or two hours beforehand. I believe that was true. Yes. Wow. And, That's and dedication. It, it, that is dedication, and it's especially hard in the winter uh, when you have to walk across the campus uh, in you know minus five degree temperature in Hempstead in February. Uh, I, I do remember that very, very clearly. I, I tried to figure out how to get my car to start remotely and heat it up at least, <laughs> but I never pulled that uh, off. No, it was, a, it was a little early on the on the technology there. Mm-hmm. Were there ever were there ever mornings where you were cursing yourself as you were walking across the Unispan saying, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Um, uh, yes, pretty much every morning. And uh, <laughs> there, was, there was one night where Ethan and I uh, went to... Uh, the bar at the Marriott Hotel, uh, and we said we're going to have, and they, they had a bar where you know they they advertised a hundred different beers, and we said we're going to work our way through every single beer. Uh, that was a painful <laughs> morning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I'm I'm surprised you have any memories of it at all. <laughs> only those, only <laughs> only that, and 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 <laughs> and getting sick at the station that day. <laughs> oh. Wow. Um, well, on that note, let's go back to New Age Images for a second. So, <laughs> since, since you're not really into the into the music, but but there's an opportunity. Jason Levy and Jeff Krause say, "Here's a here's a shot. We want to give you a, a, a job." What was the job, and what were you doing, and how often was the show on uh, at that point? It was a nightly show. I believe it mm-hmm. was on every night at at nine to eleven before Airwave, and I have no idea what the job was, honestly. Uh, because I didn't pick the music because you could pick your own music, you know, new music would come in, I would listen to it and I'd be like, nah, all right, I'll put it in, put it in, into rotation. Uh, everything was on records back then. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so you had to do it the old fashioned way. And I don't actually recall what the specific job was except staffing the show. So, you know, somebody would come in and would want to do the show and I would probably listen to their tape or, or discuss with them what the show is about. Uh, and put them on the air. Hmm. There wasn't there so, wasn't a whole, a whole lot of thought process in, in during the program. It sounds pretty straightforward and 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 pretty easy, but it's a job title, and uh, you're getting some experience working with people. Um, if we could go back to the uh, you mentioned Dave Mock, yeah. and doing a news program. There was a was there a nightly? I know in the Bruce Avery era, they made a specific. Uh, uh, goal to have a nightly news program. I think first it was 15 minutes and then they expanded so on and so forth. And they know at various points there were programs. Was this 
a set Monday through Friday show, and when was that on? Um, I think it was a set Monday through Friday show that kind of came and went. Uh, Dave was the news director. Uh, Dave, um, if you ever knew Dave, was deeply mm. invested in news, uh, and he tragically died, I think, about 10 years ago. Uh, but he was very committed uh, to the to the program and to the concept. And I believe it was was nightly. I think it was 15 minutes. Okay. Maybe about 6 o'clock or so. And you guys would take the AP wire feed and rewrite it and... Maybe were there local stories that people were producing as well? Yeah, we, we actually enterprise some stories. So, you know, election night, I remember, and I was terrified, by the way, of doing these these reports because I was like out in the field with like adults uh, mm-hmm. at either the Nassau County Democratic or Republican uh, headquarters, I forget which, and had to file reports throughout the night on the election. And, and back then there was no kind of, computers doing the tabulations and everything. And so we were relying on uh, what the party was telling us. Uh, but I do remember doing doing that story. I do remember the Avianca crash, which uh, oh, yeah. I, I know you wanted to talk about what's what's the highlight of, of our time, my time at the station. And I actually think Avianca was one of the highlights, if not the highlight, because we had to mobilize, because we could either do nothing, right? There's a college radio station, you didn't have to do anything, or we can mobilize an entire response. And uh, I, along with, um, I believe, Stephen Oling and Steve Goldman, and Ethan and Doug and I think the whole team uh, and Dave was was involved uh, kind of mobilized our coverage that night uh, and and really I honestly believe and I actually still have the the recording I haven't listened to it in a number of years because I don't have a reel to reel machine anywhere mm. in my apartment to listen to it uh, but I believe that was actually pretty decent coverage uh, you know we had we sent people out to the NASA County Medical Center uh, which is, has changed its name through the years but that was the hospital where where they were taking um, victims of that crash and you know we were out in the field uh, so we did a comprehensive multi-hour uh, non-stop coverage and I think you know we should all be very kind of proud for everybody who is uh, involved in that and that was our first real that's kind of like if you were in news that's that's Tragically, what excites you is mm-hmm. is a tragedy, um, and you know we got great experience, but we also got an adrenaline rush of of doing that. Uh, I, I have some pretty specific memories of that crash and and the weeks afterwards and the investigations and things like that. But for those of us who don't remember, um, what was that crash and and do you remember when it was? Exactly. I'm a little fuzzy on that. I, I am going to say it was 1989, I think. Mm. And it was a, uh, I believe it was a jetliner en route from Bogota to JFK. Uh, it was bad weather. Uh, and they basically ran out of fuel. Uh, oh, and wow. they crashed in the backyard of John McEnroe's home. Uh, mm-hmm. that, was, that was the big story at the time. And then it came out that a number of people had been mules. They had been, um, you know, they carried drugs with them. Uh, this was uh, Bogota at the time was was certainly a major uh, drug trade center. Uh, and uh, I don't remember how many people lived or how many people died, but there were a number of people who lived uh, from the crash. And and the reason they ran out of fuel is they were circling, and the pilots never never said that we were out of fuel and had to wow. land immediately. So. There's a big investigation about that. Um, one of the things you mentioned was that the the 
uh, people were being brought to Nassau County Medical Center, and this was on the North Shore of Long right. Island. And, and and the first thing that popped into my head was, God, that's a long ride to get to an emergency room. That's that's. I guess they must have had the best trauma center at the time, or I think, most available. I, I seem to remember. I think they had the only trauma center at the time. Uh, wow. Remember, trauma centers were just springing up during that time. Kind of my memory is a little fuzzy on that, but uh, they had certainly the best. Um, trauma center if there if not the only one in the county. Hmm. So so let's since we're talking about it, let's let's go into it a little bit. I mean, what was it? I mean, other than like you said, that adrenaline rush, what made a bunch of you like jump in your cars and drive up to the North Shore to go cover this thing or at least to to run to the station and start covering it? What what motivated you guys? Did anybody make a, a decision or was it just a bunch of people together saying, let's do this? I think it was a it was a bunch of people together saying let's do this and I'm gonna basically kind of go back in my memory and this is how I remember it I don't know if it happened this way I think I was watching L.A. Law with Stephen Oling and Stephen and I would watch L.A. Law every single week mm. uh, and so that's maybe part of the reason I remember that and then there was a news break that. This had happened, and we then mobilized and ran to the station. That's how I remember it happening. I don't really remember if if, if it happened that way. But then, you know, we gathered people, made some phone calls, and you know, nobody said no. Everybody we called wanted to wanted to cover the story. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's one of these things. Whether it's it's this crash or or the space shuttle or nine eleven, that that people uh, who are in this business. Are, are, are we in it for a reason or is it that we're in the business and then we understand the urgency of the moment and that's why we run to the station? I don't necessarily have a question, but I, I'm just so intrigued by this, uh, this idea that, you know, especially college kids like, oh, something happened. Let's go to work. Yeah. It's yeah. just so it's <laughs> odd to a lot of people like, oh, let's let's go cover this. Whereas most people just are more passive. There must be something about us that that draws us to radio or these events that make us do these things. I think there's a desire to tell stories. Uh, that is, after all, what news coverage is. It's, it's, and I remember this phrase um, from an interview I had at 1010 Winds some 30 years ago, uh, where he said, you know what we do here all day? We just tell stories. And that stuck in my mind. And there's a desire to tell stories. So I don't think it's that much of a stretch for college kids uh, who are in the creative arts to want to do that because that's that's what they do. They want to tell stories, whether they're serious stories or lighthearted stories. Um, and I think people got kind of started started that way. Hmm. Hmm. So, how much coverage did you guys end up doing? Was it uh, was it just that that night, or did it carry on for a few days? I think we did it through sign off on the station, and. Uh, and, you know, we had to basically take over the station because, you know, people had come down wanting to do their shows. Um, and we, we said, this is what we're doing. Uh, and then I think, uh, you know, I was I, I think I was doing Good Morning Hofstra at the time. I could be wrong about that. But that story did get coverage throughout uh, the next few weeks. Mm. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's great stuff. Thank you for for sharing that. And that, that is honest. That's a big news event that I remember. Uh, that had completely uh, vanished from memory. And I remember with, with Mike Prohotka and a couple of high school friends that before we came to Hofstra Radio, that we would drive up there, up towards the crash scene and talk to police officers. And, mm. you know, like 
again, why are we doing this? What, yeah. what, to what purpose? But, you know, to be curious. And like you said, those stories, and it was such a big story at the time. It was, yeah. it was a really big news story. Thank you. And for I, and I, and I think I, I, and I want to throw in Rich Radavalli's name because I think Rich was involved as well. Um, so would he have been, would maybe program director at the time? Does that sound? It's possible he was program director at the time. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, uh, it, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, I think that fits the timeline. So, so you mentioned uh, again, Good Morning Hofstra. Um, you do a year as New Age Images producer, and then you and Doug decided to go for the morning show together. How did you guys uh, come to that job? So, that is a very good question. I think it was a, so. I saw it as a news job, so I believe I applied for it. Uh, it was a pay, one of the few paid jobs at the radio station. There was a there was a stipend. I think it was mm-hmm. eighty bucks a week, but you know, eighty bucks a week covers a lot of beer at the time. <laughs> not much, not so much today. And uh, Sue Zizza was the executive producer, and I think I went to Sue and had basically applied for the job. Did you did you have Doug in mind to work with, or did Sue match you guys up? How did all that happen? I'm not entirely sure. I. Th- think it probably was a little bit of both. Okay. Um, so you were uh, writing the news and I guess was was Doug running the board and doing more of the entertainment and sports. How did, how did you guys divvy up the responsibilities there? So so the show was, was only supposed to be a 20-minute show that was repeated all the time on a loop. And so Doug would do the Hofstra announcements. Uh, this was a time when the university had a lot of control over the radio station and mm-hmm. saw the radio station not so much as an academic tool, but as a uh, publicity machine for, for it, what, it, what it wanted to do. Uh, and so they created a stipend for both of us. Uh, and, and I know Ethan had anchored the show the year before. Um, and uh, they... Um, basically divided it up where you did news, 10 minutes of news, and then 10 minutes of reading announcements uh, and, you know, things, events going on at Hofstra. Doug and I ran with that. We did a live two hours. And Doug is one of the funniest people you'll ever meet. Uh, and and he took his job and really blew it out. And because of that, we, we got into a lot of trouble routinely uh, for doing silly things. Um, but there, there was no silly things that you could do at the radio station at that time. It was very controlled. And so that kind of rubbed people the wrong way in, you know, the university, but, uh, Doug and I had a good time and, you know, we, we had a number of people who listened. Hmm. I mean, this is prime time, uh, Z morning zoo and WPLJ. I mean, those, they had really cemented that sort of fun morning show atmosphere. But what you're saying is the university said, we want, news we want Hofstra and that's it correct and you guys that's, didn't follow those instructions we, we did not follow those instructions we, <laughs> we, 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 we drew outside the lines <laughs> for sure so were, were you getting that that uh, let's let's call it feedback were you getting that directly from the university or from Jeff how did how did you get uh, those critiques so it, there was a, so you know we had become friends with the head of uh, communications at Hofstra a man named Mike Deloise I don't know if mm-hmm. you had met at Mike um, and we, we stayed friends I've stayed friends with Mike through the years uh, and it came sometimes through Mike and sometimes through Jeff. And I think Jeff was happy that Mike sometimes took the lead. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we, we made fun. We never really looking back on it. We weren't offensive. 
we weren't hurtful towards people. We just had fun with it. And, you know, the university didn't really want that, um, but they never stopped us. You know, Mike would call and scold us, but he never said, uh, you guys are off the air. He never, mm. we, our jobs were never threatened. So I think there was more of a kind of a, 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 a stick relationship than a carrot, but not cutting us off altogether. Okay. Um, I, I think for, for some people, especially of the later generations, the more recent generations, they don't necessarily have that understanding of how involved the, the university leadership was in mandating, I think it would have been either five or six hours of classics every yes. day, right. and not just a morning show, but a Hofstra morning show. Uh, that, that is right. And, and I think and I think that's changed over the years. Yeah. Um, and And... Uh, you know, to Jeff's credit, uh, Jeff, who, you know, was the kind of faculty guy in charge of the station, uh, and to his credit, he navigated the university's needs and he understood the students' needs. And because of that, we made it work. But there were certainly restrictions on what the radio station could and could not do. Hmm. Um but, you know, it's, per- won, it's won a lot of awards. I mean, I, you know, it wins a lot of awards every year. And I think that's a testament to the to the foundation that Jeff had built and later Bruce Avery. Absolutely. And and uh, this is kind of where I was, I was thinking of going next is that, you know, you worked with Jeff on this program and then as program director. And he was he had a vision of of taking the station out of the basement and eventually the, the what I was called the new building over at what became the Dempster Annex and the upgrade in equipment and more of an integration with the School of Communications. Um, did you have a sense as an undergrad that he was he was looking forward that way? Or it was, as far as you know, he, was he just sort of, you know, let's keep things running and keep the university happy? He, he was more of let's keep things running and let's keep the station where it is because then we will have more freedom. And I remember these conversations because there was, there was the early talk that had not been developed yet, but there was an early talk of school of communications. And I wasn't part of the main university and I was certainly not part of the school of communications. So I saw that develop and I think there was probably concern. um, It didn't work out this way that the station would be even more restricted. So I actually think that the plan to keep it at the bottom of, um, I forget what Memorial. Hall it was in. Memorial. Memorial. Hall. Yeah. I, I just remember bits and bites because I'd go there for breakfast every morning. <laughs> um, uh, kept to to do that to keep it there gave the station more freedom. And as a comparison to Hofstra Television, which was even tighter controlled, uh, that was the big showcase that the university always liked to show off. So you know we we didn't have the best equipment. Uh, you know it was run down. There were roaches. It looked like kind of a dumpy little operation, but I think it allowed more freedom because of where it was at the time. Got it. Got it. Um, so you apply for your senior year for program director. Um, do you remember uh, uh, applying for that? Do you remember you know, maybe talking to Jeff and saying, I'm thinking about this or how did that come about? I seem to remember Jeff offered me uh, uh, the job and... Yes. I'm not sure he regretted the decision at the end, and I think he might have. Uh, but he did offer me uh, the job, and you know, I gladly accepted. Hmm. 
um, you made some changes in the programming schedule as program director. I think most notably the one that I always think of is taking away new age images and creating rock solid 88.7 with a couple of other folks. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah, that, that was controversial. Uh, and you know, as much as controversy as you could have at a college radio station, uh, I had, you know, and I had produced new age images and then I was seen as the person who killed new age images. And my rationale was new age music had reached its apex. There was no real new music being produced. We had it on the air for a number of years. I thought it was time to move on. And I thought that a classic rock format, sort of deep tracks, wasn't going to be the pop hits on the classic rock. You know, you're going to play the B side uh, of the record would be a good lead in for Airwave. And uh, I believe uh, Dan Kennedy, Dan Erlitzen mm-hmm. was, his, was his real name. And Dan has also tragically passed away. Oh. Uh, was was uh, Dan was the first producer of that program. And I think it worked out because I thought it, I actually think it was a good show. It was well done. And my goal was to make it, you know, appropriate for a college alternative radio station, not to play, you know, the, the big Led Zeppelin, not to play Stairway to Heaven, but to play some deeper tracks off a Led Zeppelin album that you may not hear. I don't know if it worked out that way because I don't know music, but that was my goal. And, and I believe, and Renee, I believe was music director at the time. And Renee helped me help craft that a lot. Mm. Um, I remember there being a pretty tight clock for that with different categories within and uh, speaking to Joe Romano about it and a little bit with Renee that a lot of people sort of had a hand in, in crafting that clock again to make it sound, you know, as professional as possible uh, and to give some structure to it. So again, it wouldn't be just, you know, stairway to heaven and, and, you know, the best of the Beatles or something like that. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned Joe, Uh, Joe took over the show. And that, and I, again, I can't emphasize enough that I really know nothing about music. So I basically, you know, handed the show over to some very, very talented individuals, Joe, Renee, and others, and let them run with it. And that clock was all entirely their, their development of the format. Hmm. Um, So it was rock solid and airwave at night. Uh, I guess there was a jazz program in the afternoons and and classics. Um, was there an evening news program at the time, or did that sort of fade away? I don't remember. It's a very good question, and you would think I would remember that because that's kind of like what my background would later become. I think Dave Mock was still the news director, and I believe he still did an evening pro evening news show. And I believe that sports, uh, Stephen Oling was the sports director. I believe Stephen provided talent uh, or somebody in his department to provide sports within the framework of that news program. Okay. Um, you made, I don't know if it was a self-effacing joke earlier about Jeff regretting your uh, hiring you as program director or uh if there was some truth behind that, did you have some disagreements or, or what was your relationship like with Jeff? So I had a, I I had a very positive relationship professional. Um, I, you know, he was a mentor. He, uh, you know, you don't, you never really appreciate somebody when you're 20 years old or 21 years old, you don't really appreciate it as much as you should. Uh, looking back on it, I, I recognize how important he was in, in crafting kind of the job I did. I don't think ultimately I did that great of a job as program director. I did not see my role 
more administrative. It was very much an administrative role and I didn't quite see that portion of it. But I also learned uh, something about culture and I didn't use the word uh, at the time. And I, I, culture is kind of the, 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 the big word today, of course, of management. And I'm not even sure it existed back then, but I, I sort of got the sense back then of what culture should look like. And I'm not sure I delivered on that. And that kind of lesson taught me through the years, certainly as I built my own company today, how important culture is. And culture is ultimately the most important part of an organization. And it's the hardest part to define Mm. uh, because you either have a good culture or you have a bad culture. If you have no culture, that's a bad culture. And I think that may have been looking at hindsight back on that job, what that was, was meant to be. I, I'm not, I'm saying that it was not a good culture that I built. I don't know. Uh, but looking at it, I recognize the importance of it. And, and I do recognize the importance of treating people well. And that I think I failed at uh, during, there, there were, there were a number of internal battles uh, that I had with Eileen and with um, other people with the, with the station that I probably could have handled differently had I been more intelligent and mature, uh, but you learn those lessons. And I think you take away from those lessons and you try to apply it to the real world uh, outside throughout your career going forward. Hmm. It is such a hard position to be in. It's, it's a very fortunate position to be running a radio station and have these options and, and this creative input, but it's hard uh, and I know I was thinking about, about my time there too, about, you know, some arguments and some people that got fired and, and some things that, you know, could have been handled better. It's, uh, I, I know Jeff at times had a very light touch management wise, and sometimes it was a more heavy handed, but um, it's tough to, to sort of manage your peers uh, as a 21 year old or a 20 year old. It's, it's, it's a tough position to be in. It's tougher because they're volunteers. So yeah. everybody there wants to accomplish a few things. They want to have fun. They want to learn something about the business and they want to have a camaraderie of a club. Uh, and it's whether you're on a sports team or whether you're at the radio station or at the television station, you have those similar, similar goals. And you mentioned people were fired and that's probably the regret that I had during that, that tenure. And, you know, you could argue maybe somebody deserved to be fired, but nobody ultimately really deserves to be fired from their college radio station. Uh, people need to be sat down and kind of talked and you work it through uh, because no one's getting paid. So there's no real skin off anybody's back if they stay and they try to work on those issues. Hmm. There, there's a few things people should be fired for. We can, <laughs> we, we can, we can talk afterwards. There's a few things that, that, that people definitely deserve to be fired for. But there were, there were some decisions I remember making too that in retrospect, like, well, maybe it was the right call, but it could have been handled a, a little bit differently. But yes. uh, that, is, that is part of the learning process. Um, I want to go back to, you mentioned Eileen. Who else were you working with uh, the year that you were program director? Let me try to remember. So Eileen was was station manager. Mm -hmm. Renee, I believe, was music director. Mm -hmm. um, I believe Dave Braverman was in charge of the logs. I don't remember what the position was called, uh, but he was very important in, in crafting the logs of a radio station. That, that's a very important role. Stephen Oling, of course, was sports director. Uh, Dave Mock was news director. 
Uh, I don't particularly remember. I mean, I know Joe Romano was was a producer of uh, Rock Solid 88.7. I don't remember who was producer of Airwave, but those are the main core people uh, that I worked with. And and okay. Keith uh, and Keith Keith Johnson was also involved at the station. And I remember working closely with Keith on on a number a number of shows. Plus, the, one of the things I'm proud of, and I and I want to tell the story is that. I put on the air purely accidentally because, again, I don't know anything about country music, certainly. Um, um, not country music. It was the Rhythm and Blues Serenade. It was the Rhythm and Blues show. So the Rhythm and Blues Serenade, I was listening to WRHU. I still occasionally tune in a few years ago, and it was their 1,000th show. And yeah. I stopped for a moment, and I kind of reflected back on that because I remember specifically getting their tape in the mail. Someone would mail you a cassette tape. You couldn't you know, email MPEGs back then. Uh, and and putting in the cassette thing and turning it on, I'm like, "Hey Jeff, is this any good?" And he was like, "Oh yeah, why don't you give him a shot?" I'm like, "All right." So uh, I I called him up and I and I remember Gordon was my the main contact, mm -hmm. and you know we put him on the air and a testament to them, they stayed on the air and I may still be on the air for twenty they plus are. years for yeah. twenty for twenty for thirty plus years. Uh, and, and it's great. Yeah. Uh, Frank and Gordon, the R and B guys or her just, they're, they're still going. Mm -hmm. I, I, I talked to them a couple of months ago. I tried to get them to do an interview and, and the details didn't work out, but I think Gordon said like, they've never missed a Sunday. No, like uh, both of them have been there or, or at least one of them, like, and we're going on 30 years yeah. of doing this, this, I think it's more than 30 years at this point. These, they're, they're so good. They're such sweet guys and, and they, they really love what they do. So, so you're at least partially responsible for putting those guys on the air. That's, that's a big feather in your cap, but purely accidentally. I'm the, I was the guy in the office at the time who took the tape out of the envelope, put it in the cassette and asked Jeff if we should put him on the air. And that is the extent of my role in that, in that. Well, did you, did you get a lot of tapes that way? Uh, show suggestions or was that, that sort of a, a, you know, shot in the uh, shot out of the blue there that like a random mailing? Um, I think it was, it was a shot out of the blue. I don't remember a number of people because I would just put everybody on the air if that was the case. Uh, right. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember receiving uh, that might've been the only one actually, as far as a music show goes. Well, you know, someone, someone's got to make that first step and, sure. and make that happen. And do you remember uh, meeting with those guys in person? Did they come down to the station and talk to you and Jeff? Uh, I believe so. Uh, I don't remember the details, but I do remember meeting Gordon and Frank. And, uh, you know, we would kind of, you know, discuss the format of the show. We had a, we had a time slot opening uh, and, you know, we said, you know, go ahead, take it. Wow. And and they're still they're still going all these years later. That's amazing. It's amazing. Um, is there a story that you always tell when talking about your time at Hofstra Radio? There are, um, and it all kind of relates to Good Morning Hofstra. And because I honestly think that was probably my best show. It was the story. It's it's kind of a generic story, a story of doing the news, working closely with Doug who, you know, later became one of my best friends. You know, I spoke to Doug earlier today and, and kind of developing that. It's the story of, I see WRHU as a story of several people getting together, like-minded individuals uh, 
who maybe are outside of the norm a little bit mm-hmm. with an idea and work figuring out a way to work together because it was an eclectic radio station. So there was a lot of eclectic ideas. Uh, that's kind of the, the overriding story uh, I like to tell. I don't specifically, you know, certainly Abianca uh, mm-hmm. was was big. I, 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 I always refer to that. Uh, I remember producing the promos. I always had a fun time doing that. So I think specifically Avianca and kind of more in general, the camaraderie of the, of the station. Hmm. I love, I love the way that you, you put that a, a minute ago about the, these disparate people working together at this eclectic environment. And, and I know from my time, someone would come up with an idea and say, should we do this? And the yep. answer was always, Yeah. Yeah, let's let's yeah. do it. And the expectations were always high. Like this is going to be the best thing ever. Yeah, the one the one thing that I did not get get yes, let's do it was I was involved uh, as a freshman, and I was not the ringleader of this at all in the all night airwave pro- uh, show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I don't know if you were a student yet at that time. No, no. But but I and I remember Rich and others were like, "Hey, let's do this show." I think Rich was involved. I hope so. Because I just <laughs> threw him under the bus. <laughs> if not, um, you know, let's let's do this all night music show, and we need somebody to engineer it. And 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 I agreed to engineer it. And you know, looking back on it, I didn't think it was a big deal. Uh, and of course, it was not a big deal. Except it was a big deal because it's outside of the rules that Jeff had laid down. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, recognizing that now, I'm like. Well, why are we getting into trouble? What's 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 the big deal about this? Uh, and you know, we all got kind of punished for it, and rightly so. Uh, but I kind of remember that as being the um, the pushback on let's not do something, and then we did it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think Butch Raspy was involved in that. I feel like it was his last night. Him and yep. someone else there last I night. Levesque, I think Joe Lavecchi may have been involved. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, but they they decided to pull that and figuring they're graduating, why not? And why not? But uh, I got roped into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> these these well, it's that it's that idea of sure, let's do it, and not realizing necessarily what the repercussions could be. But every yeah. everybody walked away from it. I think. Yeah. No fully, one was harmed. Uh, nobody yeah. nobody died from it. So, <laughs> um, is there a story that you rarely talk about, or maybe in thinking about this, you said, "Oh yeah, this thing or this person." Is there something that that doesn't come up that often? You wouldn't mind sharing? Sure. Um, it's a dark story, uh, mm-hmm. and it's the story of the day we learned that Dean had been murdered. Uh, and, and I was not particularly close with Dean. I wasn't friends with Dean, but I worked with them and I believe, I'm not sure if you were a student yet. Um, but I believe that was the summer after freshman or sophomore year. Uh, and, and the story is that, uh, he was helping somebody who had pulled over the side of the road in upstate, I think in upstate New York, and they had set him up, they robbed him and shot him. Uh, and I know that I remember that story because recently his murderers had come up for, for parole. And I remember that story because, you know, when you're 19 years old, there, there is no death. You don't really think about that at all. As you get older, you confront death. Right. So but we had we had to confront the real world, very adult situation at that time. And that, that was traumatic. Uh, and it was an experience, and and I don't tell that story uh, much. But I, in preparation for this for this interview, I sort of remembered that story, 
Uh, and, you know, I remember where, where I was at the time, where we learned about it, what, what steps were taken, uh, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, it, it was obviously very impactful. Hmm. Um, I really appreciate your, your honesty and in, in sharing that and some of the other things that you've shared, because a lot of the interviews were, you know, they're very lighthearted and we have a lot of fun talking about the, the fun times, but, but you've been pretty uh, honest about, you know, some things that maybe didn't go as well as you'd hoped. And obviously this tragic event that even if you didn't know uh, him that well, is still just such a, a heartbreaking tragedy. Absolutely. So um, I, I really appreciate you being, uh, you know, kind of open about these things because um, we do go through a lot and we learn a lot during this process. And, and sometimes the real world kind of barges in and, and, and kind of disrupts the fun that we're having. So mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, I guess we learned to balance things a little bit uh, through this. Um, you know, on a lighthearted note, mm. uh, one of the stories, one of the shows that I put on the air uh, with help from others, including Tony Sibilla, um, Jay Brayman, uh, and the Hofstra lacrosse coach at the time who went on to coach at Duke, uh, Jay Danowski, I believe. And John, um, yeah, yeah. John Danowski. Um, you know, the we did a major indoor lacrosse, and and the reason, uh, you know, I had done that is because I figured it would be a good way to promote the station. And John Caracciola, by the way, was involved in that and helping the technical and helping stand that up. And I talked to John frequently. He, he's he's you know he owns a he owns a number of radio stations mm-hmm. on Long Island and in Florida, and he is one of the most terrific salt of the earth guys in this industry, in the radio industry, which is, you know, cutthroat run by evil media empires. Uh, he is very much a, a good person to know and stay in touch with. And is just, just a really nice guy. Uh, and he was involved in, in putting major and little indoor lacrosse, uh, on the air. And, you know, I, I, and we were excited because we were in the Coliseum and we got to hang the banner and, and, you know, Jay and John did a fantastic show and I, and, and I believe Tony was involved on the air as well with it. It did, did a really, uh, you know, the sports department was always seen as the premier department within, within the station. Uh, it had super high standards and that, that sh- shined through during that as well. Hmm. How did that opportunity come about to, to do those games? I don't remember. I do remember hearing about uh, a professional sports league starting up uh, at the Coliseum and it was the team's name was the New York saints. And I reached out and they did not have any broadcast partners because who's going to either listen right. or watch lacrosse. And I, I reached out and said, Hey, you know, we would like to do the, these games. Now, of course, now WRHU is doing the New York Islanders, <laughs> yeah. but uh, back then there was no real opportunity to, to do a professional sports um, sports broadcast. And we didn't do any away games. We just did it, did the home games. And I think that's how the opportunity uh, came out. Okay. Um, that's that's a, a pretty impressive thing to do, whether it was short-lived or not, uh, to, to work with a professional sports team and get that on the air and get, you know, undergrads involved in doing it. That's a big thing. You talked about Avianca. You talked about a number of significant events. Is there one thing or story and maybe we've already mentioned it that that perhaps defines your time at the station i i, I would like to think that it would be avianca because that mm. was an important event it was uh earth shattering for long island and i thought we did 
you know, I could listen to the to tape and realize we did a crappy job, but I think we did a pretty decent job uh, covering that. Uh, and so I would think that's probably the big story that, that mm-hmm. we did that, that I remember, but there, okay. there are so many, there are so many, there's so many people passed through the radio station who did not graduate. Matt Basford, uh, I believe left before he graduated, uh, could be wrong about that, but Matt was involved in the station and, and, you know, he's working in Florida right now. And there's so many people who pass through the station. And what's great is you stay in touch with a number of those people. And, you know, that's ultimately, ultimately, when you look back at any sort of group you're a part of, the real question is, is who do you stay in touch with and who did you learn from? Because Mm -hmm. that kind of shows your growth. Uh, And there's a number of people at at the radio station who I could say that about. Hmm. Well, if you don't mind throwing some names out there, I'd love to hear them. Um, people, I, well, I stay in touch with um, Ethan Drylinger. Ethan mm-hmm. lives right across the street from me, and uh, he's, uh, you know, we're always we're always going out drinking. Uh, Ethan's Ethan is just got um, engaged. Uh, uh, Stephen Oling, of course. Uh, Doug Oaken, uh, Steve Goldman. Uh, I occasionally still speak to Tony. I saw Richard Adabali a couple of years ago. He's doing well. Uh, and I, you know, Renee and Eliana, mm-hmm. uh, Eliana and Eileen, um, all these people, you know, impact my life in some way. And you take that, even if you don't know it, you take what you learn from those people and you hopefully are a better person for it. Mm, definitely. And those, those are some good names, some good people. So no and doubt. You by, and you, by the way, Brian, I don't want to leave you out. Well, well, no, I, I, I definitely uh, thank you. That's very kind of you. But I, I came in on the tail end of your tenure and I stole some of your ideas and your management <laughs> ideas that I'll be happy to talk about uh, at some other time. But um, no, I, I remember coming in and I, I don't want to make this about me, but I remember coming in not being a radio guy, not necessarily planning on spending a lot of time there, but I remember there being uh, my freshman year, a culture that was very welcoming that, that you and Eileen were very professional and, and, you know, Jeff was in the corner doing his thing, but we always felt like we could, we could come in and be a part of things. And Renee was very welcoming. And, uh, that, that culture of, um, you know, let's try things out and, and you guys, uh, uh, welcomed us in. So, uh, you know, to go back to what you were saying before, I know very specifically that I was a very small part of the station during that time, but I, I learned a lot and I got a lot out of it. So, and you became a um, big part of it going forward. And, and you should you should take the credit because thank you. Not just this podcast that you're doing, but your legacy as well. Uh, I hear about it uh, frequently if I go back on campus. So you you definitely became a big part of it. And you know, we should mention also the university. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's, you know, criticism of how the university may have run the radio station, but Hofstra University kept the radio station largely student run during a time when that was diminishing. So if you look mm-hmm. at Fordham's radio station, WFUV, that's a non-commercial station that is professionally run. I don't know how many students, if any, uh, and I could be wrong about it, but if any are in- involved and there's a number of universities in this area surrounding Hofstra that have college radio stations that have decided to exploit them on a non-commercial basis. And, and so even though we criticize how maybe they 
kept the reins tight on classics from Hofstra. They had to do six hours of programming that Dr. Short, the president at the time, wanted on the air. While he may get criticism for that, he should get the benefit and the um, praise for keeping it a, a student-run station. And because of that, it is routinely uh, referred to as one of the best college radio stations in the country. Yeah, and it, it is it is worth pointing that out. And there's 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 sort of that difference, like the the WFUV model of you know professionals running this, and and maybe by the time you're a senior, you get to work the board or you know produce a show or something like that. And then there are other college radio stations that are uh, often return you know referred to as sandbox radio. It's a very free mixed for format. It's a free for all, and anybody can come in and do whatever they want. And there's no uniform sound there's no you know uniform management it's just people come in and spin some tunes or you know tell stories and that's and that's and and there's there's certainly a market for that but Hofstra sort of during our time balanced that you know you have to do these certain things with we'll give you this other freedom to do that and that grew yep. into much larger things so I, yeah, I agree I, with that it's it's very well put I'm glad I'm glad you said that. So um, let's let's uh, go back to uh, some of the fun things that you did. Uh, it could be any year there, but is there a funny story, an event that always makes you laugh or chuckle thinking back about? Let's see. I I do remember every year producing shows outside on the lawn at that mm -hmm. kind of the fair, and I always enjoyed that because you kind of first we got to see the sunshine the sunlight because we were in the dungeon the whole time. Yeah. I think that, that, that was beneficial. It's good to see uh, the university kind of, kind of know us. Uh, there are some off color stories that I don't think I should share on a podcast okay. uh, that, that took place. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I think, you know, overall, you know, the imprint of the experience was enormously positive for somebody who wasn't a comm major and for somebody who did not specifically have a desire necessarily going into radio, uh, I did briefly go into radio and then television. Uh, it, it, and, I, and I was sort of an outsider. But mm -hmm. even though I was an outsider, quote unquote, what you said was true is that I was welcomed in. So I couldn't go to each Hofstra TV. Uh, I, and I had tried to do a couple shows there and I, I, I did the news show for a little while because I wasn't a communications major and there's pushback, right? We can't bring Andrew in because he's not an academic major in the department. Mm. Uh, and, but that never existed at the radio station. Because you weren't a comm major and I think it was, was it the new college? Is that? It was new college. Yes. New college. Was there ever a time where you're like this, the radio thing isn't for me? What, did you ever think of stepping back or stepping away from the no. station? No, I never did. I never mm. did. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed every day at the radio station. Uh, you know, I, you know, senior year, I could have done um, a couple of different things and I, I chose to stay at the radio station and I did so because, you know, I thought it was good career path. I thought it was, it was good to have on the resume, but I also did it more importantly because I enjoyed the people and, and hanging out with the people because, you know, the radio station, I think is one of the few clubs where people would go down there. They don't have anything to do at, at the radio station, but they would mm -hmm. just hang out all day. Uh, and I think that was important. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the welcoming culture, especially for commuter students that you've got some time to kill. Well, let's go down to the station and you get more involved. I think it was a really nice resource to have. Mm -hmm. um, is there, is there something that you miss most 
uh, about the station? Yeah, I well, you know, you know, I always like to say that, you know, looking back on high school, you only remember the good times, but we all know that high school was a miserable experience for most people. Mm-hmm. But yeah. looking back on it, I had a great time, but you know, then I look at the other 90% of it. Um, I think that what you miss most about the radio station is not really the work. It's not producing any shows or writing any copy or putting people on the air or managing sort of, you know, a bunch of college kids who are unmanageable. I think it, it comes down to really the friendships you build and having a place to go to every day especially in today's world. So, you know, we didn't have Zoom. You know, nobody ever heard of Zoom back then. We didn't have any of the technology that is used today where you can do most of your job probably in your house or apartment. And I think we've gotten away from the importance of, and I don't want to sound like I'm an old fogey, but the importance of going to an office and working with people, even if you spend 30% of the day not doing any work. And that was kind of WRHU where you could always go and hang out. Uh, it's, it's like the bar in Cheers because mm-hmm. you can go and everybody knows your name kind of thing. And I think that, uh, I think we all miss that. Yeah. Yeah. That idea that you just go down between classes to eat lunch and then suddenly you're you know producing a show or you're working on something or uh, a breaking news story happens and you can, you know, sort of shuttle between those worlds if we're working or not working and you know it generally it's i i, I like to think we're, we're having some fun while doing yeah. both and you're doing yeah. something important mm-hmm. because you're you're serving the public you know there was radio is certainly depressed today and there's there's whole sorts of problems with the industry but at the time no matter how many listeners you had jeff always said you always have one listener there's always one person out there listening, but WRHU had quite a few listeners. And so you're serving, you're an important lifeline to somebody at the other end of that signal. Maybe mm. somebody's having a bad day and they listen to airwave and they like alternative rock music and that kind of picks them up. Maybe somebody needs to hear some news and they just like the newscast that Dave was doing and it's snappy and it's short and that's where they get their news from. So you were always doing, and that, that's something we did not think enough about the listeners, but you're always doing something kind of important. Hmm. I love that idea. Thank you for stating it that way. Um, if you could go back, if you had 60 seconds to time travel and talk to 18 year old Andrew, yeah. what kind of advice would you give him? First, um, don't be so serious. Uh-huh. I, always, I always thought of myself as kind of like every every decision I'm making here is important. Uh, and even though I just said you're doing something important, <laughs> uh, it, it, it ultimately it wasn't. Have a little bit more fun. Uh, be, be kinder to people. Uh, not that I was mean to anybody, but I had some rough edges. And I think, um, you know, talking about that culture thing, some kindness would, would be important. And and this is going to sound antithesis to what we're talking about, don't necessarily get wrapped up in everything at the radio station. There's a larger world out there. And so explore that world. You're going to be here for four years. And so, you know, there's other, there's other things. Hofstra has a, such a wealth of things you can do. 
it's it's even though it's it's it, at the time when we went to school it was largely it was like 30% commuter i think there was a number of commuter students but there's so much other activities you can do but don't leave focus don't lose focus of the radio station bring those activities and what you learn from that into uh, the station. And that would make you a, a more well-rounded uh, individual. And that's why I liked, um, and they shut it down, unfortunately, New College. Uh, New College was a terrific experience for people who went to New College. You know, we always joked that, you know, there was no classes on Wednesday. People called it No College. But it really was a groundbreaking alternative way of learning. And I'm glad I had that experience at New College because I kind of think I like to think that I brought that to the radio station. There's other ways of doing things. And that's something that I would go back and, and tell an 18 year old Andrew that that keep an open mind. There are other ways of doing things and always explore those avenues. Just because you're not doing it doesn't mean it's a bad idea. Hmm. Hmm. So be a little bit more curious and open, open minded about things. Yes. Interesting. Uh, I like that. Would you have listened to that advice or any of those? You gave a couple points there. I have no idea. I have no <laughs> idea if I would I would listen to that. <laughs> um, this this is an old man reflecting back on his college days, and I think well, we all I, have that. <laughs> every, every time I ask one of these, I'm like, "That's that's actually pretty good. I should do that." And I don't know if it's because <laughs> I still have so many problems, or it's just like we're we're getting to a point where we're wise. I don't yep. I don't know. Yeah. Um, if you had a chance, if you got a call from John Mullen, we need someone to come in and, and host a show or, or, or cover a couple hours. Um, would you be willing to do that? And I guess my follow-up question is, if you had to pick a format, what would you choose to do? So the first answer is in a heartbeat. I'd, I'd love to do that uh, because you know I love uh, – being the center of attention <laughs> and when you're doing a radio show or any kind of show, you're the center of attention. And, and I've gone back a number of times and I I've done things at WRHU and it's always, always a good time. It's always a valuable experience. I learned something from it each time. What format I would do, I probably wouldn't do a music show uh, for all the reasons I I've stated. It probably would be something in the talk news kind of category. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if that kind of came up. Okay, maybe, but, no one's, but I haven't. I haven't received an invitation, so well, <laughs> I don't know if it will. I don't know if John's hearing these. This is this is new, and I don't. I don't know if I'm opening a door here that he doesn't want uh, to have to deal with. But uh, maybe you could coax uh, Doug Oaken, and uh, you guys could do a, <laughs> good, uh, do a, a good morning hofter. Yeah, um, you uh, you mentioned uh, some of the jobs that you did after uh, you graduated. Um, what were some of the things that you brought with you from Hofstra Radio into your professional and grown-up life? So first, uh, on a kind of procedure answer, uh, I became a much better writer. Uh, and that was a result of actually writing the news every morning and not ripping and reading it. And that translated into a skill that I think carried me through my early days in both radio and television. I could bang out copy very quickly. And I think that was a valuable skill. So from a procedure standpoint, that skill probably translated or translated best. Uh, also, you know, the production of how to put together a, a radio story uh, also resonated. And that was, that was valuable, but sort of the, uh, I guess the, the what I take away, and I kind of came, we'll come back to the issue again, is is the the concept of culture, and recognizing when you're working for management when the culture is not so good, and and certainly I've been in organizations uh, in my career where that's true, 
and organizations where the culture is good. Uh, and, you know, culture is kind of in the eye of the beholder, but that's probably the most sort of esoteric thing I could say that I took away hmm. from WRU. Hmm. Um, as a side note, um, I always enjoyed uh, catching you on the news in my time working at uh, Metro Traffic and Shadow Traffic. And sometimes I'd, I'd catch it on New York One or uh, doing the, I can't remember what the uh, the organization was, but you were doing economic news updates, business news updates and, and things like that. And I always got such a kick out of seeing you <laughs> or hearing you and going, I know that guy. And he's, you know, and I'd, whoever was nearby would, would be subject to a litany of stories. I'm like, I knew him yeah, and he gave okay. me a chance. And it was, I was I always felt very proud to know you and, and to see you doing such great work out in the field, which is, you know, one of the reasons you're Hofstra Radio Hall of Famer. So, uh, you know, I, I, I always took a point of personal pride in, in, in just knowing you and, and knowing you brought all that stuff with you uh, out there. Well, well, thank you for telling that story. Uh, I appreciate that. In fact, you can't see it, um, but behind me is the original New York One bus poster for Brooklyn. Uh, I took it when I, my New York One story is I took it when I left. I said, I'm taking this bus poster and I've kept the bus poster for now 20, 20 plus years. Oh, that's fantastic. But I appreciate uh, you telling that story. That That's very nice. Yeah, no, I, it's it's always wonderful to see, you know, Hofstra people out there uh, doing great things and whether it's in radio or TV or broadcasting or just, just being good people. But uh, I, always, I always got a kick out of that and uh, not being in the New York metro area anymore and, and following things, I've kind of lost track of what some people are doing. But uh, that was always really a, a, a neat thing. And even if it were, uh, uh, you know, just, just something that I noticed. I was, I was always happy to see it. So, uh, and, cool. and, you know, today we, you know, we have a number of careers. Uh, so, you know, I left New York one and I, mm-hmm. I went to news 12 first, left New York one, went to WABC, uh, and then, which was the business uh, show you referred to. And, and mm. since have now started, you know, an, an airline, <laughs> I like to tell people that I got out of the radio, the, the media business, the easy media business and went into the easy aviation business. Uh, but, uh, those skills translate where whatever job you have. Could you have imagined uh, in your Hofstra days that you would wind up running a company, you know, uh, an aviation company? Is that anything that could have possibly been on the radar? No, unintended. Cer- no, <laughs> no, certainly, certainly not. I had an interest in learning to fly, yeah, uh, but it would be another ten years uh, before I did that. So, mm. certainly, did not have considered that an, an option. Well, uh, this has been uh, a, a really great, uh, uh, fun conversation, and I'm so appreciative uh, of you taking the time and all the things that I learned from you back in the day. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's really an honor, and uh, I'm just thrilled to have this conversation. Thank you. And, and it's great talking to you and because you bring back the memories and what you're doing, and I'll reiterate this again, is crucially important and it doesn't matter what organization you're part of, you have to capture the memories of the people to really understand the history of, of an organization. And what you're doing is preserving that history during a very important time for the radio station. And I think the radio station, I know the radio station and the academic world at Hofstra University will be better off for it because of what you're doing, Brian. 